Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to Witches, Whiskey, and Wit, the three W's. Every week on this show, I promise you one of those three things, either witches, whiskey, or wit. I'm a practicing witch, so that one's easy. It's always easy to fill up the glass with whiskey, even if we're recording early like we are today. It's past noon. We're fine. There's no problem here. Geez, stop judging. Get off. Stop judging us. Anyways, and then sometimes... There is wit. It really depends on how much whiskey has been consumed, who the guest is. Though, on the second incarnation of Jason's podcast, the guests have all been fucking fabulous. And free of Pagan Tonight Radio, I feel like we could just cuss up a storm, too. So I love the new freeing atmosphere uh, to get tipsy and to cuss a lot on the podcast. It's great. It's great. The shows usually start out very strong and then slowly descend into madness as more and more whiskey is consumed throughout. Uh, so, yeah, there's the show. Sometimes I call it Whiskey Witches and Wit just because I get confused and, you know, get things in the wrong order, the wrong priorities, so to speak. So, today I've got another great guest. One of my favorite people in the entire world. Truth be told, my conscience at Pathios Pagan, and I'm not kidding about that. If I have a question or my conscience while writing books, Misha, is this okay? Can I write this? Is, is everything going to be all right with that? And yeah. And thankfully, every time Misha has said, yes, yes, this is okay. I think this is all right. You know? So, good. Whew. Whew. I'll drink to that, you know. So, without any uh, more ado, with no more gilding the lily, so to speak, it is time uh, to be joined by Misha Magdalene. Hello. Hi, Jason. It's so good to have you on our show. It is It is delightful to be here. I mean, I don't often get the chance to pour myself a glass of scotch at 12.20 in the afternoon. You know, just barely afternoon. I am an enabler, and that's what I try to do, is enable people. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Hopefully I can enable them with the tools of witchcraft, but sometimes it's just you have a pass to drink at 12.20 p.m. Yep. Is and that? right now I think many of us could use that pass, frankly. It's true. We really could. Before we get too deep into the show, I just want to say Black Lives Matter. If you have a problem with that, you can, you know, turn off the podcast now. And fuck off into the sun. And fuck off into the sun. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to add that. So, not go. only are you my conscience, I'm going to steal things from you. My gift to you. Thank you. Well, you know, I give you early more early afternoon drinking, and you give me, you know, good things to say. Hey, you know, the sun is over the yard arms somewhere in the world. So, 2020 so far has been the year of hold my beer, meaning this is really <laughs> shitty, but hold my beer, I think it can get worse. 
Oh, you think that's bad? Here, have murder hornets. Yes, yeah. they're they're coming. You know, like the Navy admitted that UFOs were real and nobody cared in April. I mean, that is where we are right now right. in the United right. States. Yeah, the, the the government went, oh, hey, actually, UFOs are a thing, aliens are real, and people went, um, yeah, we're busy. <laughs> it's true, we were busy. In my case, drinking to try to avoid the pandemic, or at least the reality of the pandemic. You know, self-care is important. It is, it really is, and thankfully, Ari is an enabler in that sense, too. Mm. As, As is my partner, Megan. As as we record today on June, June 11th, it's Ari's birthday eve, so happy birthday to my wife. Happy birthday, Ari. And, wow, there, there's three of us that have birthdays, like, right in a row. Ari, and then the 13th is Tempest, and then the 16th, this coming Tuesday, is yours truly. And Angus uh, McMahon, is, his birthday is also at the same time. Oh, for real? Oh, wow. Happy birthday, Angus. Yeah, his wife, Karen... Her birthday is next to mine. So every year there are competing birthday parties between like Angus this. and Karen and Jason and Ari. Yeah. So anyway, back to hold my beer or hold my whiskey. You know, right. when I did not think it could get any worse over the last weekend, J.K. Rowling really came out as transphobic. And okay. that's saying it lightly. Full bore turf. Absolutely. We, we talked a little bit before the show. We saw this coming over oh, the yes. last couple of years. You know, liking a yeah. tweet here and there. And, you know, and then the expl- explanation was, I don't understand technology and my fingers slip. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I was having a middle-aged moment. Yes. she's have, She seems to be having a lot of middle-aged moments. I've seen a lot of people try to defend rolling statements online. Uh, one of the worst things about my life is having to moderate the Pathios Pagan Facebook page. Right. Which just ugh, makes your skin crawl, pretty much, uh, sometimes. Yes. A lot of great readers, don't get me wrong, but it's that 2 or 3% that are very loud. So why were J.K. Rowling's comments wrong? Can you elaborate on that and explain that to us? Um. So there are... Writers who have done a much better job of elucidating all of the problems, glaring flaws, gaping holes, and outright sucking chest wounds (laughs) in J.K. Rowling's bullshit arguments. Um, Caitlin Burns and Zinnia Jones are two of the folks off the top of my head that I could name who have just, over the past few months or past few years have just done an absolutely masterful job of dismantling every scare tactic bullshit bullet point that uh, Joanne brought up in her online screed. Um, But the kind of the extremely high level short version is that she has an elementary school grasp of biology and speaking as somebody who has a degree in gender women and sexuality studies her understanding of all of these topics is mediocre to non-existent um 
she has very clearly been reading a very narrow set of extraordinarily transphobic uh, pundits on the subject and is basically barfing out their bullet points in exactly the same way that your scary racist uncle kind of regurgitates Fox News bullet points anytime the subject of Black Lives Matter or you know, any other progressive cause comes up. All right. It is, I used to, you know, as somebody who's read all the Harry Potter books, because my wife loves the Harry Potter books and some of the movies are okay. What, what do you think this means for fans of Harry Potter? Can people still appreciate the art despite the artist? Um, well, Evidence points to, yes, absolutely, they can. Um, There is, in literary criticism, a concept called the death of the author, which, and I am summarizing wildly here, basically means once the work is out there in the world, it's out there in the world, the author no longer exists, the work itself is a phenomenon unto itself, and you kind of engage with it on its own terms. I question some of that whole death of the author perspective because I think you can see in Rowling's writing a lot of her transphobia, a lot of her, well, frankly, homophobia and racism and anti-Semitism. I think those things are in the work itself, And yet, I also think that there are a tremendous number of people who have found things in her work that are beautiful, life-affirming, that teach amazing moral lessons. And honestly, I would suggest that all of the good things that people are finding in her work say more about the people, about the fans, about the people who are reading those works than they do about Rolling herself or what she wrote. Um, and with that said, um, I'm not going to come down on somebody who finds something of value or beauty in the Harry Potter books. Um, I'm also not going to fault a single solitary queer or trans person who feels profoundly betrayed by... Joanne suddenly deciding to turn around and essentially tell trans people, you are abominations, you should not exist, you should not be allowed in the public sphere, just die already. You know, it's strange about her because she continues to say, well, I'm an ally of trans people while denying that a trans woman is a woman. Right. She is an ally of trans people. If you are defining trans people as, oh, these poor, sick individuals who have this psychological condition of gender dysphoria that can only be treated by them pretending to be the opposite gender or the opposite sex, that that is what she means by ally. And Speaking as a data point of exactly one trans person out in the world, um, we don't want her allyship because it's poison. It's not real. It's toxic. It's unreal. It's garbage. 
one of the things that I continually see when these issues come up is what about women's safe spaces like bathrooms? There seems to be this bizarre idea that there are men pretending to be trans women who are using it as an excuse to go into bathrooms. Right, right. This is um, this is a lie that was actually concocted by a group of transphobes, specifically as a weapon against trans people. Like, the people who came up with this have recently come out and admitted, well, we, we just made this up as a story. It doesn't happen. It's not a real thing. And even if it were a real thing, there are already laws that say it is that it's against the law to assault people in bathrooms. Yeah. You know, it's like, these are people who are asking for laws ostensibly to combat an issue that doesn't exist. So it's like, well, if this issue doesn't actually exist, like we've looked at the statistics and this doesn't happen, why do you actually want this law? And the reason that they want this is that fundamentally they want trans people to not exist in public, to not exist in the public space. And, you know, fundamentally to not exist at all. One of the things that always bothers me about this is that trans women have been using women's bathrooms for hundreds of years. Oh, yeah. It's like this is not a new thing. It's just that for the first time, people feel somewhat safe in speaking more honestly about who they are. Right, right. It's This isn't about, you know, trans people are suddenly wanting to use the appropriate bathroom for their gender because trans people have been doing that the whole time. It's suddenly trans people are feeling safe being out, being authentically who they are. And there are a host of people, you know, that we call TERFs or transphobes who are just like, oh, no, 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 that won't do. We we can't have these people thinking that it's okay for them to be who they actually are better concoct some stories to make up about them and drive them back underground. Um, There is a, uh, it's been said and quite correctly, I think that modern transphobia is just eighties homophobia repurposed and repackaged. I think that is absolutely correct. You are seeing the exact same tropes that were used to hurt and in many cases kill gay and lesbian people in the 80s, being repurposed, having the serial numbers filed off, and a new paint job thrown on and used against trans people today, up to and including the whole bathroom predator trope. I mean, I know you and I are of an age, so, I mean, you remember the 80s, the, like, wildly prevalent homophobia. Oh, for sure. Uh, Yes. Like, I can't touch a gay man's hand because I will get AIDS. I mean, that was what the homophobia was like in the early 80s. Oh, don't, you know, don't don't share a plate of food with somebody who's gay. You might catch the AIDS. And, you know, it's like, and my, my, my other favorite one was the, and favorite is very loose here. My other favorite trope is the, oh, the female gym teacher at my high school is secretly a lesbian. 
you know, who is obviously being predatory on the girls. That was the trope. And you look at this and it's like, yeah, this is the same exact bullshit that's being said about trans people in 2020. Well, I mean, we finally kind of reached a point of acceptance of gay rights and that upset some people. So they had to find a new scapegoat. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that makes me the angriest and most disappointed is seeing cisgender gay and lesbian people joining in and saying, oh, yeah, you know, trans people are terrible and awful and we don't want them as part of our movement. And I'm like, uh, I, I, I got two names for you. Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, a black trans woman, a Latinx trans woman both of whom were part of the Stonewall. Exactly, yes. You know, the two of them and Stormy de la Ver- ah, I'm mispronouncing her last name, Lerveri, I think, um, who was a butch lesbian woman, uh, the three of them were the core of the Stonewall uprising. They were the beginning of what we call pride today. And seeing now people suggesting that, oh, pride needs to be this respectable thing so that cis straight people will like us and we can't have all of these trans people and all of these, like, you know, kind of kinky queer people at at pride because that makes us look bad. I'm like, uh, the first pride, as the saying goes, was a riot. And I don't mean, oh, it was so much fun. I mean, it was... People fighting cops and throwing bricks. For a couple of days. Yeah, 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 for for a few days. And I am, disclaimer in place, I am not here suggesting that anyone should engage in altercations with the police or throw bricks or, or break things. Honest, I'm not. With that said, um, I think that the LGBTQIA plus community diminishes or disregards the contributions of trans people to its demerit. I think when the LGBTQIA plus community or the queer community try to pretend that trans people haven't been an integral part of this community from the get-go, they're engaging in historical revisionism. They are lying to themselves and everyone else about who we are. One of the things about these issues that I'm always surprised by, it it feels like we have a marginalized group being attacked by another marginalized group. And that really confuses me. And it feels like a lot of the transphobia really comes from certain people involved in second wave feminism, which surprises me as well. Uh, Yeah, that, that is a thing. Um, there is a quote, and I am utterly blanking on the name of the author of the paper that this comes from. Um, you know, I, like, I should have prepared notes beforehand. Um, but it was a study on feminist movements. And the quote is that oppressed people all too often only know two positions in life, a foot on their neck or their foot on someone else's neck. It's an illustration of a particular power dynamic that people who've been oppressed all their lives 
instinctively understand. There is the person in charge and there's the person being suborned. And I think that there are a lot of second wave feminists who are invested in a particular understanding of gender and sex and sexuality that basically requires them to believe, well, there are only two sexes. There's male and female, and you're one or the other, and there's no middle ground in between. And the problem with that is that, um, well, I mean, there are so many problems with it, but the first and foremost problem, I would say the core problem with it is it's factually untrue. It is scientifically false. Um, you know, se sex is not binary. We're talking about biological sex. Biological sex isn't binary. It's bimodal, to be sure. You know, sex is, we are defining these two categories, one that we're going to call male that tends to have these characteristics and one that we're going to call female that tends to have these characteristics. And it's not a black, white, zero, one binary kind of division. It's more of a, uh, a double bell curve. Mm -hmm. And I'm like drawing in the air like people can see this, but it's sort of a double bell curve, like a two humped camel. And most people tend to fit in one of these two uh, groupings, but there are people and a not insignificant number of people uh, who don't really fit into either of those two modal distributions. Uh, people who kind of fall somewhere in the middle or at either, you know, at either of the tails. And the, that's, you know, sort of the, uh, the easiest way to point to the first flaw in this argument. It's like, it's just scientifically wrong. You know, we know that there are people who exist who don't meet these categories, these standards. Therefore, your argument is kind of bullshit. And they've but, always been here, too. This is not a new oh yeah. thing. This is something, yeah. this is a part of who people are. This is a part of how humanity is. Absolutely. Um, you know, intersex people exist, and they're roughly as common as redheads. So I'm just saying we're not going around saying the only hair colors in existence are blonde, brunette, and black. And, you know, redheads are a myth. Redheads don't actually exist. Like, no, no, like, we can point to them. You know, my daughter is a redhead. So, you know, and I guarantee she's not a myth. Um, <laughs> but I think part of... And it, it sort of bringing this back to talking about paganism for just a second, um, I suspect part of the problem is that a lot of our symbolic language in paganism and polytheism and occultism is built around the binary metaphor of male and female, projective and receptive, yes. and things like that. You know, this is woven into a lot of our cosmologies, a lot of our theologies, a lot of our modes of practice. I mean, like down to the tools that we use, you know, the afame is for boys, the cup is for girls. 
I always thought gendering tools is the dumbest thing in the entire world. It's a knife. Right. <laughs> and I, I know very few people who have penises who want to think about their penis as being like a knife. No, it's not going to go over well in my house. Yeah, I mean, unless you're like Blackie Lawless from Wasp. Mm -hmm. Right. Or something like that, you know. Uh, for for younger listeners, uh, that would be a metal band from the 80s. They're terrible. Don't listen to them. They're garbage. Live in the Raw is a great album. And uh, <laughs> fight anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> we, we, we can argue about that on the next show. <laughs> no, but you talk about that, how prevalent that male-female thing was in paganism. and still is in a lot yes. of circles. We oh, both kind of grew up in the 90s in paganism. Absolutely. And it was always Maiden Mother Crone growing old with the god and yep. sex through the year. And, I mean, I'll admit, we we did a lot of that up until, like, 2010 with the groups I was a part of. Because it's an easy way to build a ritual. But then you sort of look at it and you realize how alienating it is. Because we should be able to see everyone in our rituals and what we do right. in a circle. Right. You know, I... Certainly, you know, if we're talking about um, Wiccan witchcraft, you know, the goddess of Wicca is the mother of all living and her love is poured out upon the earth. It's like, okay, the mother of all living. There are a lot of times where I look at the things people say in the context of, well, in Wicca, we believe blah, 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 blah about, you know, and, I'm, and I just go, wait. Do y'all think that the goddess doesn't understand the word all? Like, we are meant to be inclusive. We are meant to be diverse in our approaches and in the people that we bring into our spaces. You know, this isn't meant for... You know, yes, the mother of all living, as long as you perform gender in these certain ways and, you know, you only have sex in these particular kinds of ways that we think are appropriate. I know that I am a Gardnerian heretic because I do not think that what I do is a fertility religion. I've never understood that way of thinking about Wicca. I don't make the crops grow. I've never tried to impregnate my wife in the circle. You know, everything that I do personally is against fertility. Pretty hard. An anti-fertility cult. Anti. I mean, I've, I mean, as a Wiccan, and this is to everybody, I think that what I participate in is a magical religion. It's not about biology. It's not about gender. It's not about goddess and god in that very rigid sort of... 70s and 80s kind of way oh you mean the the there's a goddess and a god and they do it and that's the religion yes yeah that's why yeah. beltane is the best sabbat <sighs> so it brings up another question and this segment has gone on much longer than i thought it would go on <laughs> but it's been really great and I, I appreciate it i'm so glad are are we doing better as a pagan community when it comes Especially the trans issues, I think we're I think we're pretty good with with the gay issue at this point. I think we've moved beyond what it was like in the seventies to be a gay witch, which was really hard and was full of all sorts of prejudice and other bullshit. But how are we as a pagan community when it comes to trans issues? 
Are we ahead of the curve? Or are we behind the curve? I mean, I, we certainly have a long way to go. So I always like to start my answers to questions like this with the disclaimer that I am one trans person. And my take on this is not universal. It is not indicative. It is not representative. I'm just one person. With all that said, I have a very sort of, I have a love-hate relationship with the pagan community. It's like, you know, I love my people, but goddamn. Um, One of the things about the pagan community that I have the most sort of rueful head shaking about is that pagans, in my experience, tend to feel really invested in this idea that we are different from the mundanes, the, well, you know, uh, for the past 20 years or so, people, you know, referred to the non-pagan folk as muggles, but um, that word can get in the trash. Yeah, we need, <laughs> we need to be bring, we need to bring Cowan back. I, you know, I agree, though the Masons might go... <clears throat> eh, we've stolen so much from them. I know, I know. Um, but I think that a lot of the pagan community is really invested in this idea that we are in some ways better than, more progressive than, more accepting and inclusive than the non-pagan world. And generally what people mean by that is the Christian world. And, you know, in some ways that's true, but honestly, you asked about specifically trans issues. I'm going to be the Debbie Downer at the party here and suggest that really modern paganism is a microcosm of mainstream culture. We don't do church the way that a lot of mainstream culture does church, but we cannot help but import a lot of their fundamental ideas about what it means to be spiritual into what we do because we are ensconced in mainstream culture. You know, we're part of the overculture. Um, and as we do that, I think we are importing a lot of their unexamined ideas about things like gender and sex and sexuality. Um, I think that in my experience, most pagans really do want to be progressive and forward thinking and inclusive and accepting and understanding, but they also, in my experience, haven't really been forced to think about what that means. You know, um, there are a lot of people who don't understand why saying, well, there's a goddess and a god and they do it, would be alienating to someone who is non-binary. They don't understand why talking about women and wombs in the same sentence you know, in that sense of, you know, women connect to the goddess through their womb would be really alienating for a trans woman. Or someone who lost their womb. 
or someone well, or someone right it's just to, yeah, yeah someone who's had hysterectomy it's like oh well i guess your connection to the goddess is cut off good luck with that yeah i mean it's like getting back to jk rowling i mean a lot of the definition was you know someone who menstruates and oh yeah and that's not a universal by any means the arguments are just so ridiculously stupid and short-sighted there are cis women who don't have uteruses there are cis women who don't menstruate there are trans men who do menstruate there are non-binary people who menstruate her argument is such trash and in some ways i actually and this is not any kind of shade at you jason i resent (laughs) that as a pagan as a witch as a sorcerer as someone who is engaged in numinous magical spirituality that i even have to consider the diseased ravings of a mediocre english fantasy author when talking about my experience of gender and sexuality and spirituality, much less anyone else's in our community. It's, and at the same time, she has become a part of the parlance, a part of the, the, um, she's become part of the vocabulary that we use to talk about things. So of course we have to address these bullshit things that she says about trans people. And what it comes down to is, yeah, it's bullshit, and trans people have been saying it's bullshit for years now. Um, Here are some people who have exhaustively deconstructed every single point she raises. And even at that, what it comes down to is the people who want to believe her are going to believe her regardless of how much proof to the contrary, like actual logical scientific proof to the contrary is brought to their attention in much in pretty much exactly the same way that you know the racist shitty members of my family who voted for and still support donald trump will not be swayed by logic or reason or fact or news or literal recordings of this shithead's voice saying horrible, awful things. They're not going to be swayed because they're hearing at the end of the day what they want to hear. They're hearing someone say the things they want someone to say for them. They've found a spokesmodel for their deepest, nastiest, bigoted, hateful feelings. And those of us who do not share those nasty, bigoted, hateful, awful feelings are left with the task of finding ways to combat that. You brought up, you know, like, we shouldn't have to talk about J.K. Rowling, but it seems like we have these discussions about issues like Black Lives Matter, about transgender rights, when something sort of happens in the overculture that's terrible. Like J.K. Rowling's comments or the the death of George Floyd. I mean, that's how we have these conversations, and it's completely wrong. These are conversations we should be having anyways. Absolutely. Um, the fact that George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police is 
more than a tragedy. It is an abomination of justice. It is horrible. And it is, and I do not say this in any way to dismiss it, it is just one more example of the systemic brutalization and genocide of Black people in this country that has been going on for literally hundreds of years. And yet this was the thing. This finally was the spark that lit the bonfire under a lot of white people's asses. And, you know, I am not going to give myself a pass on that because, you know, my partner and I have donated to Black Lives Matter and other causes for racial justice for a while. But we could have done more. We could have been doing more. We could have been contributing more, demonstrating, doing fundraisers, any of these things. And we didn't. Which in some ways means, you know, we were being at least a little bit complicit. I was going to say, we're complicit, whether we realize it or not. Absolutely. Because we did not fight against this injustice. And it's not, yeah. and this isn't new. This is something that's gone for hundreds and hundreds of years. It didn't end because we elected Barack Obama president. It didn't end because we passed the Voting Rights Act, which our Supreme Court just did away with recently. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, as a white person who benefits from white supremacy, I'm complicit. So are you. And it, it it is distressing to me how you cannot say that to a lot of people without them immediately launching into a defense of themselves. Well, I don't have privilege because I grew up poor. And I'm like, you know what? I grew up poor too. I grew up on food stamps and welfare in the 70s and 80s. I still grew up ensconced in a structure of white privilege and white supremacy. And I am frankly embarrassed that it took me as long as it did to not only work to be not racist, but as Ibram X. Kendi would say, to work to become anti-racist. What's the difference between the two? So, uh, under, understand that uh, my grasp of this is really new and tenuous, and I will encourage anybody who is interested in actually understanding this to go pick up Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, he talks about how racism is a structure and that the idea of not being racist isn't really a thing. You cannot not be racist while you are ensconced in a system of racism. You basically are stuck either functionally being complicit, you know, sort of passively racist, or being actively anti-racist. You cannot take a neutral stance in a system that is built to 
dehumanize a group of people. So what I would say is that the difference is that being not racist is the same as claiming to be apolitical. And, you know, I've written for Pathios a few articles about how completely ludicrous I think the concept of apoliticality is. I don't think it's possible in this day and age. Right. Exactly. It is not possible to be apolitical right now. It is possible to be passively complicit, to be actively complicit, or to be actively opposed. Yeah, uh, there's there's just uh, um, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump just because it makes me sick, <laughs> and you know I, I think we're both enjoying our whiskey. Also, one of the things we have not Cheers. talked about so far is your book. Outside oh, of that, you know, as we're forty minutes into the show, but and I think it's just so enlightening talking to you sometimes, and Thank you have you. a good way of saying things that are clear. Uh, so hopefully people can understand them. Um, I think for a lot of people, some of these ideas are new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I try to hold grace to, you know, steal a little bit of language from our Christian siblings. I try to hold grace in my heart for other people who are encountering these ideas for the first time, whether these ideas are, you know, other white people encountering the idea of being anti-racist for the first time. And I'm like, yeah, this is new for me too, but let's talk about it and see if we can work through it together. Or straight cis people who are encountering the idea of not just LGBTQIA plus inclusion, but, um, celebrating queerness uh, and queer diversity and queer liberation for the first time and are kind of like, well, what's all this about? And, and with the book, I was trying to strike a very fine balance between writing a book for, well, writing a book for the 15 year old, queer baby witch I was in the mid to late 1980s um, when I desperately wanted a book that spoke to my experience as someone who was interested in witchcraft and magic and paganism and all these things, but who was also queer and going, "Mm, yeah, this whole, like, it's all entirely about gender and sex and goddess and God and like that. And that's not really, that doesn't speak to the whole of my experience. But a book that also would speak to the folks who came up in the 60s and 70s and 80s and are now going, wait, I don't understand why all of a sudden the language and metaphors and symbology that spoke so deeply to me and felt so liberating to me are now being called oppressive. Like, when did that happen? What, what What's going on? Like, okay, the, the gay thing I kind of got, the bisexual thing I kind of got, but like suddenly there's the whole trans, non-binary, gender queer, gender fluid thing, and I don't understand. 
you know, I thought I was one of the good guys, but suddenly I'm being told that my, my language is wrong. And so uh, when I was writing outside the charmed circle, uh, I turned the first draft in and then I had a long conversation with my editor at Llewellyn, Heather Green, who, you know, mm-hmm. um, and Heather just point blank asked me, who is your audience for this book? And I said, well, I kind of wanted to write it for straight cis people who aren't getting it. But I also wanted to write the book that little queer baby, which me wanted to read when I was first coming up. And she said, okay, write that second book. Write that book because that's where your passion is. That's the book you need to write. And if you write that book, the other people will get it. They'll be able to get into it from that perspective. But you need to write that second book. And so I did. Um, I did include some pieces that are specifically for straight and or cisgender people who are maybe not quite understanding all of this queer and trans stuff that's going on. But it is a book primarily to let queer trans people know, hey, if you want space under the tent, if you want space at the table, there's space for you here. Not just we've made space for you. You've always had a seat at this table. You created the table. Right. Yeah. There are, yeah. You know, first page of Outside the Charmed Circle, uh, the first page that I wrote. I mean, you know, not uh, barring uh, Michelle Belanger's amazing intro to the book that still brings me to tears. Um, the first page I wrote in the book, Magic is Queer. <laughs> I just put it right out there. Magic is queer. Um, and queerness is magic. And we have every right to a seat at the table because we helped build the fucking table. And the gods that we worship are queer. The magic we do is queer. And when people decide, oh, well, trans people shouldn't be part of our community or queer people shouldn't be doing this kind of magic. The only thing that's happening is the people saying that shit are diminishing themselves. They are losing the amazing, profound, transformative, ecstatic magic that queer trans people bring to the table. It has been really disappointing to see kind of my pagan idols as a baby witch. Yeah. Not unable unable and really unwilling to listen and to adapt in this day and age. Yeah. Um, I just found out about another um, pagan author that I really admired um, just coming out as a full bore turf in support of J.K. Rowling, no less. So bringing it full circle there. Yeah, I found out about that this morning. And it oh, was yeah, just I like, saw that. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, wow. For a community that is so invested in this idea of being countercultural, 
we sure are ready to lick the boots of patriarchy. Yes. And in some ways, it feels like we always have been. We want to be accepted. Oh, yeah. You know, we want... We want a seat at the compared, you know, at the the different religions table. Oh, the the Council of World Religions. Yeah, we want to be. We want to play respectability politics. Yeah. We want churches. We want tax exempt status. We want for other people to treat us seriously. It's the same fucking arguments that we hear from people who are like, oh, pride shouldn't have dykes on bikes with all these topless women on motorcycles. And pride shouldn't have men roller skating around with like just a jock strap covering their dicks. And, and, and pride shouldn't have people in leather gear and being all kinky and whatnot. It's like, you know what? Fuck you. That's what makes pride, pride, pride. for you. Right. Right. That's the whole point of pride. You're supposed to take pride in who you are. Right. Not who you think society should see a, a group of people as. The number of people who in the past few years have finally come out about their particular taste for boot leather is dismaying. It is distressing. And I'm just like, wow, I thought you were better than that. I thought more of you than that. And I thought that your witchcraft was more than that. And clearly it wasn't. Your witchcraft is a way of feeling cool and better than other people and feeling kind of spooky. But when it comes down to it, you are just reiterating and reifying the same bullshit patriarchal tropes. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Jace. And and in all seriousness, thank you for uh, giving me a platform to be my, you know, weird, queer, trans ass self. Oh, it's been and my... And to drink whiskey before, you know, four in the afternoon. It's It's been my pleasure. Really. You know, I, I fell in love with you the day that I met you in our unair-conditioned, no-water oh hotel... Oh, that hotel room. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to take a moment here to blame Tempest once again uh, for all of this. I, I as, as I like to do, I, I blame Laura Tempest Zakroff for every single thing that has happened since that moment. I blame her for every book I've written since the second yep. one. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. Uh, oh, so... So, um, you know how my book came into being, right? I've told you this before, yeah? Uh, I think you have. However, this is a good story. <laughs> okay. So, um, there was a call for submissions for an anthology about queer magic. Uh, and titled Queer Magic, Power Beyond Boundaries. And it's an amazing anthology, and I encourage everyone listening to go check it out and read it and buy it. And it's it's delightful um and i sent in a submission uh basically you know just a here's what i would like to write about blah 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 blah, blah. and uh as it turned out my submission was declined in part because uh it was felt to be a little too similar to something else that somebody had written and or had submitted for and that was fine i was a little disappointed but these things happen. But I still had, you know, something on the order of 5,000 words written on this thing. 
And so I just hung on to it and was like, you know, I'll do something with it. Cut to a few months later, and I'm at Mystic South in Atlanta, Georgia, with you and Ari and Tempest and a bunch of other people. And So my partner and I were there. And we were hanging out in one of the hospitality suites, and Tempest messaged me over Facebook Messenger. And she was like, hey, what are you all doing? And Megan and I were like, we're hanging out in a hospitality suite. It's kind of, you know, meh, whatever. And Tempest messaged back, I'm in the Mankey's suite right now, hanging out with them. And we were like, uh, cool. And then she messaged back, they have whiskey. <laughs> we always have whiskey. <laughs> and my next response was, what room are they in? <laughs> and so we bounced on down to, to y'all's suite. And, you know, you were, you and Tempest or you were engaged with, in a conversation with a couple other folks who were there and Tempest was just kind of there hanging out, chilling, you know, being all Tempest. Like she is. Yeah, Tempesty. And Ari was over in the corner. So my partner Megan and I immediately gravitated to her and kind of sat down and started chatting with her. Ari offered her Ari offered us a drink, which immediately got us on her, you know, on her side. And the three of us wound up in a conversation about what Ari does for a living, what my partner does for a living, uh, the fact that I'm, you know, a bum. Um, so international, I. <laughs> international queer of leisure is actually my official title. Um, but, you know, we were talking about how Ari should really blog about whiskey and fashion and snark. And Ari was like, yeah, but I'm really too busy to do a blog. And we were like, I, uh, but it would be so cool. And then I hear Tempest's voice ringing out clear as the bell over all of the, the conversation. Hey, Misha. You should totally write a blog for Jason for Pathios. I remember that very well. <laughs> and I remember you were you were sitting in one of those swivel chairs that they have at like, you know, every hotel room. And you were in the swivel chair and you swiveled on me and you were like, "Oh, do you write?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I I do." And you were like, "Well, cool. Send me a, a writing sample. Here's my email address." And I was like, "All right, cool." And then the next morning, I woke up at stupid o'clock because apparently I'm incapable of sleeping in. And I was like, eh, you know what? I'll just go ahead and, you know, chop a couple thousand words out of that thing I was writing and send it to Jason. And so I sent that to you. And then a few days later, you wrote back to me in email with a contract. Attached. <laughs> I don't fool around. And, I don't fool around. Yep. And I, I, I appreciate that. What's what's especially delightful to me about that is a substantial chunk of the piece that I sent you as my writing sample later wound up as a blog post on Pathios mm-hmm. and much later wound up in the book itself. So that piece that started out as a submission for an anthology is now part of my very first published dead tree book out in the world. Cheers. I would Cheers like to toast you, but like my whiskey glass is empty, which is horrible. I, th- that is dereliction of duty, sir. All I have left is what is in the Red Bull can, which is oh. awful. 
It's, it's the yellow. It's Red Bull yellow. That's the best Red Bull. Tonight's show is brought to you by Red Bull. No, it's not. <laughs> we don't have any sponsors yet. We're looking. It's, it's, it's an open invitation. So your first <laughs> Dead Tree book came out in January. This January, that's correct. And you're already working on book number two. That is correct. Well, I am. I don't even know what book number two is about. Um, I, I've been being really cagey about it. Yeah, and you're going to continue uh, to be cagey about it? Is that I will, what I will continue to be cagey about it. Um, what I said to the, uh, the folks at Three Pagans and a Cat is that um, it is a logical extension of parts of my first book. Basically, if you read outside the Charmed Circle, this book will come as no surprise. Um, I will I, I will go one small step further and say that the events of the past six months have absolutely been influential on the direction that this book is taking because book two is by design very much grounded in the material plane in the body and that's it i i can see misha's face because we're doing this over (laughs) zoom but you can't dear listener so that's really not fair you know i i was waiting for something else too and then i saw the expression i was like i'm not getting anything else you know it is impossible not to be caught up in the Black Lives Matter movement, the effort now to, I mean, it's called defund the police. It's not completely defund the police. Uh, people don't seem to understand that. But have we reached a tipping point? Is this? Do you think that we are on the precipice of real change? Or is this going to be, it feels like everything else, like uh, after Ferguson... Uh, Missouri a few years ago uh, it just it never it there seems to be like it like anger and the anger boils out and we let it boil out and then nothing changes do you think that we're gonna change this time do you think we're gonna get something out of this I think hmm. well I'll start with I hope so yeah. and I will continue by saying Yes, if that is what we want. And by we, I mean all of us. Um, I know that there are going to be people listening to this podcast who are uncomfortable with a lot of the rhetoric that they're hearing, sometimes secondhand from sources that don't necessarily have their best interests in mind. Um, They'll hear phrases like, defund the police or abolish the police Mm. and they'll be you know there are a lot of people who will be very uncomfortable hearing terms like that and what i want to encourage people who have that kind of discomfort to do is listen to black voices go to the black lives matter website it's blacklivesmatter.com and read what they have to say about defunding the police Read what they have to say about abolishing the police as they currently exist or at all. Read what black voices have to say about prison abolition. I mean, read what Angela Davis has to say 
She's one of the most lucid and erudite and compelling writers out there on the subject of prison abolition. And, I mean, really, I could just sit here and say, listen to Black voices over and over and over about all of this. Um, I think that we are at a moment in history where things have to change. Because if they do not change, then every single person who was horrified at George Floyd's murder is ignoring that murder. They're ignoring the atrocities that were committed in their names. We're abdicating our responsibilities. We are complicit. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing. Every cop who kills a black person is doing it in the name of white supremacy, which means they're doing it in the name of every white person out there. And... And this is something that a lot of pagans are super uncomfortable with. A profound majority of people in the modern pagan and polytheist and occult community are white. Not all by any means, but a huge majority are white, which means they're benefiting from white supremacy, which means they are complicit. And again, just to be clear, I do not exempt myself in this. We're all complicit. Exactly. Yeah. We are complicit until and unless we start actively working against it. And even then, we still benefit from the system. You know, we have that privilege. It's just a question of, are we going to pretend that privilege doesn't exist? Or are we going to leverage that privilege to try and destroy that system. Use it for good instead of evil. If possible, if yeah. If possible. Yeah. So I do think that change is possible. Um, I am... <laughs> uh, divination and prognostication are not among my magical gifts. I cannot look to the future and say what is going to happen you know, beyond the obvious that anyone with an analytical mind can predict. What I will say is that I want to see and live in a new normal that isn't based on oppression and genocide and brutalization and murder and appropriation. I want to live in a new normal that is based on equality and equity and inclusion. And that has to start because we live in a system of white supremacy with white people shutting the fuck up for five minutes and listening to black and brown and indigenous voices. White people love to talk. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah. So we're almost out of time. That was a huge chug of whiskey. It was very impressive. <laughs> oh, come on. It wasn't that much. It was it was more than you thought it was. That was a that was a good chug of Macallan. 
Ari would be horrified in her own way. I'm, I, I am savoring it. Thank you. <laughs> so we're almost out of time on the show. You were going to go to some pagan festivals this spring and summer. Alas, yeah. yes. Uh, we didn't really even talk about how the coronavirus has impacted your own practice. We didn't even talk about Anderson Ferry and Gardnerian tradition. I had all these other things that we were going to talk about, which is <laughs> which is why you're going to be back in October. Okay, which is, I'm down. Which is the plan, I think, I hope. that's. Uh, but I know that you're going to be at the Queer Pagan Pride Festival hosted that by the correct. Queer Pagans of the Northwest or Northeast? Northeast. Northeast. Uh, yeah, Greylock Shadow, uh, Queer Pagans of the Northeast, are uh, hosting an online event, a week-long event, uh, starting Sunday, June 21st. And this morning... I received an invitation to come do an online presentation about my book and queerness and being trans and magic and all of this stuff. So I'm going to do that. And they've got some other just amazing, wonderful folks lined up. There are presentations and workshops and devotional rituals. And yeah, um, that's all on their Facebook page. So folks should go check that out. Also coming up, starting this upcoming weekend, is Llewellyn Con, formerly known as Lunacon. They had to change the name this morning with oh. a whole lot of different pagan speakers and things and some New Age people. Devin Hunter will be there. Laura Tempest. No, no, Laura isn't on there. Gwian and Phoenix, who've been on this show, are two of the oh, presenters. Yeah, I love Gwion and Phoenix. Gwenix. Gwenix. Fionn. Long, yeah, it works better that way. Yeah. She, she's, Fionn and Gwenix. She's, she's, she's in charge. We all know that. I, oh, well, yeah. Yes, obviously. Yes. Duh. <laughs> yeah. It's why Ari and Jason are arson, because Ari is first. Arson. I like that. She hates that so much. Hates it so much. Uh, it, it, it's funny. Megan and I don't have a portmanteau name. And... and like I, I, I'm actually okay with that because uh, I, I want her accomplishments to be celebrated and observed and 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 appreciated, independent of you know all of this nonsense I do. It's true, but you know, it just it's part of that though. You get like a name, you get a couple name. That's it. Just happens. I mean, Ari is far more important in our relationship than I'll ever be. You know, I'm just a harmless <laughs> drudge. I just talk more. You know, that's that's the difference. Better witch, uh, better person, prettier, that's for sure. I have better hair, though. I do have better hair. Uh, you've got pretty great hair. I'm not going to lie. But Ari's hair is pretty spectacular. It's fine. I, like, mm. It's fine. It's not Jason hair. <laughs> it's fine. So, so, so how is that couch in your living room? Eh, she can't sleep without me, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't mean she'll touch me or... Anything else? It just means that I can probably sleep in the bed. That's all. You just be like those uh, Puritan couples with the like the bolster down the middle of the bed between you. Well, she puts Black Philip between us. Oh, okay. Though, given present circumstances, like uh, yeah. a, like a small child, I have been cuddling with Black Philip every night. Like you know, I'm five again with a stuffed animal. Sure, it's sure. It's very comforting. 
I I get that. Um, you've seen my my Baphomet plushie, right? Yes, it's beautiful. I if the Baphomet plushie were not an articulated plushie, I I would probably be sleeping with uh, with them in the bed with me. I want to live deliciously, so I cuddle up yeah. to Black Philip. <laughs> he's he's my guy, and Ari well, won't, yeah. Ari won't let me get like a real goat, so it's all I've got. Uh, you know, Megan wants a real goat, and I've just put the kibosh on that. I love we, Megan. Uh, my partner is absolutely the best. I am so ridiculously in love with her, and. I, like you've met us, we're just schmoopy and awful and ridiculous all the time. That's why but, you fit uh, in with us, because Ari and I are schmoopy right. and ridiculous all the time. Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of everybody in our little running circle. We we have an, like a circle of friends who are all coupled, and we're all like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah, it is really nice. Uh, at Llewellyn Con, I'll be speaking on June eighteenth which is a Thursday on the Wheel of the Year. And Llewellyn Con is free. So if you would like uh, to listen to a lot of really great speakers for nothing, you can sign up. And you need to sign up because there is a limit to how many people can sit in in each class. Also, on June 18th next week, my guest will be Laura Tempest-Zakroff, you know, the glue who holds us all together. <laughs> the, the, the leader of the Pathios Pagan Illuminati. She really is. She really is. She, she so is. This yeah. is all her fault. It is. Uh, also, person I've co-written a book with. You know, Tempest is responsible for a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a good book. It it's is. a really good book. It's okay. It, it, it's our little bastard book. You know, don't don't downplay my experience, Jason. Oh. I loved the book and enjoyed it. When you talk shit about your own book, you're 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 it's a it's a great it's a great book. But it was so funny for both of us though, because we're writing our own books at the same time. Right. right. You know, her we the liminal, Jason's transformative witchcraft book, and that altar book came out two months before the other two books. Mm. So, I mean, it was kind you know, and then we did uh, one thing, and then it was kind of like, we're over it. We want you to buy this book right now. You know? Right. Yeah. So it was it was kind of tough. You know? It kind of fell through the cracks in some ways. But we love that book. It's a good book. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's no outside the charm circle. But really, what is? What is? My, <laughs> my guest today has been Misha Magdalene. Misha, where can people find out more about you online? I am like all over the place. You can, you know, do a search on Misha Magdalene and find me kind of everywhere. Um, the easiest thing to do is just type MishaMagdalene.com into your browser of choice and you'll find me there. But I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and just all over the place. I'm so ridiculously omnipresent. You're it's also really the leader. Annoying. You're also le- leader of the Pagan Cream Puff Terrorist Brigade, <laughs> which we did not get into this time, but we will get into in October. Oh, yes, so yes, many stories. Uh, this is I'm Jason. My guest has been Misha Magdalene. It's been a really great seventy minutes. With the show ran long because it was so good. I love. I love. We call you the Misha at the house sometimes. I love the Misha. 
I, I, I love you and I love Ari and thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute delight. This has been great. Uh, this is Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm Jason. I will see you hopefully next week. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.